two months into the pandemic in the U.S. and I'm on my way to work. It's a Saturday morning. Um, I've been working at a local health department for a while now, and my responsibilities have increased as the pandemic has developed and has impacted the county and the area around the county because you know the virus really doesn't understand political uh, divisions. <clears throat> and um, I gotta say, it's scary in that it is hitting a segment of the population, the older folks, um, particularly hard. And then it's also creeping its way into nursing homes and other facilities where folks who are uh, advanced in age and their memory is decreasing, their body ability is decreasing, they're there for care. And in the U.S., um, like in a few other countries, facilities are not the best that they could be, but it's not by design. Let me explain what I mean. So you would think of these facilities as being a place where the folks, the residents would be safe uh, and taken care of and everything is great. The problem is that in a capitalist society, like in any other society, this is a, a good and a service that is being provided to them. And if they don't have the financial resources to pay for that good and service, then the good and service is going to be low quality. So uh, imagine, of a, imagine a triangle. One point of the triangle is quality, one point of the triangle is availability, and one point of the triangle is cost. The best case scenario is that all three are in balance, but if you want to bring the cost down, the cost down you're going to be bringing down also the quality of the service. Um, but you might increase availability, or if you increase availability, you're going to bring down the cost as well because more supply um, always leads to lower prices in, in this model. Um, or if you increase the quality, then you're going to have to increase the cost because increasing the quality is going to mean that you have to get more skilled people in, right? And you're also going to bring down the availability because not everybody's going to be able to catch up with the quality that you're providing. And so you end up with these places that are concentrated um, places where people live uh, and, and they're very vulnerable and you have a virus like coronavirus that hits them particularly hard, hits the respiratory system hard, and you're going to have deaths. And we have seen this all over the country and we're seeing it in other parts of the world and that is where we are and so there's a need to stop it. And so we're implementing some things that hopefully will slow it down or stop it or keep it from going out of control, but we're going to lose people. And I was talking to a, a reporter the other day who was asking me about the polio epidemic and how it compared because uh, apparently Mitch McConnell, the Senate uh, Republican leader, he went through a polio epidemic when he was when he was young and I haven't looked into it. I haven't had time to look into it to see if he was one of the victims. So... Um, <clears throat> She was asking if maybe his experience with polio would lead him to do something more or something better with regards to the pandemic. Um, and I, I said, I don't know, you know, because I really don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not in his head. I'm not in his inner circle, so I have no clue. But there are certain ways in which the polio epidemic is different than uh, the coronavirus pandemic. First of all, the polio epidemic was not a pandemic. It was an epidemic, and it came in waves, and then it went away in the U.S., and it struck the, the children. And when children get hurt, we rally the troops like few things do, right? Child falls into the well, we all 
we gather out the, the whole town to go to the well and try to do something about it, even if it's just uh, thoughts and prayers. Child uh, is missing, and you have hundreds of volunteers to go out and search for that child. Somebody hurts the child, you know, God help them because they will be punished like few other people are punished in our society. We have the opposite of that here. We have older folks, and a lot of the things that are, um, to be honest, a little bit hurtful that I hear from people are, well, they had a good life. Well, they had a good run. Well, you know, it's, it's not like we're not like we're losing our young people, our children, our future. But the problem with that way of thinking is that in losing those folks, you're also losing memory. You're losing wisdom and you're losing knowledge that has been collected by them over the course of decades. Um, and so that all needs to be passed down because what what good is the future if you don't carry forward knowledge, right? And so we unfortunately can't take care of them at home and we put them in these uh, facilities and we forget them there and we forget them and we forget also the lessons that they could be teaching us. And so we end up in a situation where this coronavirus is wiping out memory. Um, we are dealing with the coronavirus poorly because we don't have good institutional memory uh, from our institutions. And <laughs> because a lot of the lessons that we learned in 2009 uh, in that pandemic could have been applied to this one and would have been mitigated much better, in my opinion. And so we're losing out on this memory and this wisdom. Um, the World War II survivors are dying at an exponential rate now because of their age, and then they're going to be hit by this. Same thing with Holocaust survivors. You know, people who could really teach us from history what we need to do for challenges like these. Um, I also uh, work, uh, volunteer, participate in a, an institution up in Philadelphia that has several fellows who, at their time back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, they all collaborated or worked on vaccines. Uh, very brilliant men and women who know things about viruses, uh, know things about how to create vaccines, and several of them are involved in the response. Imagine if we were to lose them. We would have to start from scratch on so many levels for so many things that uh, it would only expand the time that we have from now until a viable vaccine. But because they're involved um, and because they've written their books and because they're available to us, the time to a vaccine is significantly shorter than it would be had we had to start from scratch. So when you hear people say, well, you know, it's only hitting the old um, and they had a good run and they've had their, hopefully they had their full lives. Um, don't, don't just take that, like say something, you know, remind people that these are also valuable members of society. Um, and as much as you can try to help nursing homes and other facilities taking care of these members of our society um, to be a little bit better, uh, to not be the desolate places of abandonment, uh, to not be daycares for older folks, etc. Um, just, you know, um, do something to help that out. So we continue now on this path to the pandemic. Uh, one more time into the fray we go. I hope you all are staying safe and you're washing your hands and you're taking care of each other and staying home unless you absolutely have to. And if you're working um, as one of my colleagues, as one of the essential personnel out there, I wish you the best. I, uh, I hope you stay safe and we'll all get together one time after this is all over and have some beers. So that's it for now. I will talk to you soon.
Take care.